Ephesians chapter 4. You'll find it printed in your bulletin and on the screen right behind me. And we are doing a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it, a museum crawl? Something along those lines? Where you want to spend time really focusing in on all the beautiful scenery and pictures and paintings that are before you? That's exactly what we're doing with the book of Ephesians, at least in chapter 4. There is so much delightful, beautiful things right here in verses 25 to 32. So we are taking our sweet time. Um, let's read it again, though, because we've already read it a couple weeks ago, and we've walked through the rest of the books, book of Ephesians. So here we go with chapter 4, starting with verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is a little bit of a long quote, but I'm going to read um, a couple of sections from it. And this is from one of my favorite authors uh, of all time. His name is C.S. Lewis. And he describes exactly what Paul is describing in this passage in a book he wrote called Mere Christianity. This is from the later chapters in the book. And he says this, The Christian way is very difficult, but also very easy. He describes, uh, let me give us a couple of illustrations as he enters into this. He says our life as a Christian, and this is what Paul has mentioned just before our passage in the putting off of the old self and the putting on of the new self. He talks about the fact that it's like a house. You know, we invite God into our lives and we're like, Lord, I know the roof is leaky. (laughs) I know I have problems. I know the gutters are a little crooked and I know that that window has a bad crack in it that needs to be sealed. But God enters in and that's exactly what he does. He starts to repair the roof and he Make sure the gutters are straight. But then guess what? He begins to knock down walls. And he begins to change bedrooms. And he begins to add towers. And he puts a courtyard around it. And we're like, Lord, no, wait a minute. Hang on. I just wanted you to fix the gutters. And he's like, when the new man is being created, when the new person is being created, it's much more than you ever imagined. You thought it was just going to be a little gutter job. But I am coming in to make you like Jesus Christ. That's the new self. Paul, uh, C.S. Lewis also describes it uh, as Paul talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. He says it's kind of like also a tree that needs to be trimmed. And, and, and God is like, uh, we're, we're, we're sort of going, I just need a few branches cut off, you know, make sure the shade. And he's like, nope, the whole tree has to come down. 
And we go into the dentist and we're like, I have this little bitty toothache. Can you just kind of shave it off or maybe put a crown on it or, or fill it perhaps? And he's like, nope, tooth got to come out. The whole thing. All, the whole kit and caboodle. And that's what he's describing here. He says the Christian way is different. Harder and easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, that is your old self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here, there's that illustration, and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, the old self, all the desires which you think innocent as well the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Both harder and easier than what we are all trying to do. You have noticed, I expect, that Christ Himself sometimes describes the Christian way as very hard, sometimes as very easy. He says, take up your cross. In other words, it's going to be like being beaten to death in a concentration camp. Next minute, He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He means both. And one can just see why both are true. And the reason I mentioned this this morning is because when we get into this section of Christian ethics, and that's exactly what it is right here, Christian ethics, how to, how to talk, how to live, how to deal with your anger, how to, we must remember that this is not just a little moral tool set for you to take home and present to your old self and say, hey old self, let me shame you into doing a little better than you're doing now. You can probably become a little moral than you are today. Right? It, that's, a recipe for disaster. You will either give up at some point, if your natural self is what you're presenting these ethics to, you'll give up at some point, or you'll become incredibly cranky and nasty. (laughs) And everything you do will be like a martyr so that everybody else notices you. Oh, my Christian service. It's so incredible. And frankly, it'd be better if you just stayed selfish in your natural self than do that. And Paul is very careful about that. That's why at the beginning of our passage today, you see the therefore. Paul says, you are being transformed by Christ. It is not take your old self begrudgingly, add some good morals to it. Here, don't, don't have corrupting talk. Don't get angry so often. You probably shouldn't do this, do that. Make some more demands on the natural self. It's, it's not going to happen. He says, when the new self is created, that is when, when real change begins to happen in a person's life. It's a new person. Here's how Jacob uh, drew it this week, y'all. I went to Jacob's art show. That Jacob right here. This guy, raise your hand. That guy right there. He he's a he's a fourth year at UVA, and he had an art show, and it was awesome. By the way, uh, you should see the other ones. He kind of traces the whole story of God's redemption. He had four different pictures he drew. And this one is the new self looking at the old self. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? And he's got, he's got words like agape written on the hand, uh, some Greek and Hebrew words written on the new self. But this is what God is doing. I love the illustration, Jacob. It, he's, he's not just saying, clean yourself up a little bit, Christian. He's saying... We have to go from one degree of person to another degree of person. And it's only going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in our life. Here's how we described it last week. Okay, you you can 
it'll be too distracting to have that behind me the whole time because it's, it's better than anything I'm going to say up here. But all, every week that we look into these Christian ethics, like we're going to look in them today, I'm going to start with this every week. We have to be reminded of it. We cannot lose sight that what Paul is describing is the life of the new person. It's a completely new identity. It's the same reason that you find in Exodus chapter 20, God puts right in front of what's called the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. I have redeemed you. He says, that's the important part. And if you can keep that in front of you at all times, that I am your redemption, that I am pulling you out of the slavery of real life, of sin, and I'm bringing you into a whole new world, a whole new reality, then you will understand the Ten Commandments. You will understand Christian ethics. This is for the new person that God is creating. And there's a new identity that we're given, and that is the important peace. Last week I described it like this, this new identity that Paul talks about and that the Ten Commandments have right in front of them. We have been signed by the king. Remember how we talked about that last week, like an autograph? It says the Holy Spirit is a seal that's given to us that shows us that we have incredible value and incredible worth because God has found us and he has redeemed us and he loves us. And because of that worth, we can enter into ethics. Here's why. When you truly believe in the heart of your hearts, when the gospel of Jesus Christ has gotten down into the depths, you know that you have gone from being a taker to a giver. Before you understand you have any real worth, any real value, you are going to take from other people. Why? Because you need what they can give you. You're going to constantly be making sure they like you. You're going to be super self-conscious about everything that you do because I need the people to like me. I need everyone in my family and in my church and my workplace. They got take, take, take. Me, me, me. That's, that is the focus of the old self. And he says, you have a new identity. You've been given worth. And guess what? Now you can say, you, you, you. Let me give to others. And that's precisely what he's getting at in our passage today. He says, stop stealing. What is stealing? Right? It's taking from someone else what is theirs and selfishly grabbing it for yourself without doing anything useful for that person. It's unbelievably self-focused, selfish, and me, me, me centered. Because again, it's the old person that is in operation when we're stealing and we need to take from others. We just need to take from others. It's the direction of our life. It's the bent of our heart before the new self has begun to really work its way by by the power of Christ into our life. Also, one of the things that uh, Paul talks about, the Bible talks about, um, this new self, is that we're loved by the Father. That's no small thing. If you really believe that your Father in Heaven loves you, that you're going to be taken care of, just like the birds of the field and all of the beauty of creation, like the flowers that are outside, just like all of that, your Father knows your needs before you even say anything, and He's going to take care of you. And guess what? You don't have to steal. You don't ever, your whole life, Not even like white collar, white lie type stealing, right? Like skimming a little off the top. Stealing from your employer just a little bit. Not enough that they're going to notice. Even that, when the love of the Father is operating within our hearts, we know I'm going to be taken care of. I'm not going to be left alone. I am not going to be abandoned ever. 
Uh, also, filled with the Spirit. That's another thing that the new person has. We are, if you are a new person in Christ, filled with the Spirit. We have the fruit of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those things there is no law. And then finally, as the new person, as someone who has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the mindfulness of Jesus. We, Jesus is our guiding principle. He is within us and he is next to us and he is drawing us closer and closer to the Lord. And here's how Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says it. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who considered himself nothing. He considered others better than himself. So again, these are active truths that carry the new person forward into these ethics. Last week we talked about, I don't know if anybody remembers, last week we talked about anger. <laughs> and we talked about what the, how, what the Bible teaches about anger. What it, how, how should anger be an operating principle of our life? It says, be angry and do not sin, right? And we also talked about relationships. And we talked about how God changes us so that we can be truthful with the people in our lives. Truthful with our family, truthful with people in here, putting off falsehood. Okay, so this week, let's get practical. He, again, Paul's being, he's saying, this is what the new person looks like and this is what the new life looks like. Right here. He says, well, let's read the, let's read the verse. 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's a ton packed into that one verse. A ton. And we're going to dive right in this morning. I'm going to be jumping around the scriptures. If you like to follow along, you're welcome to turn in your Bible with me. But there's a lot going on here. And I've already mentioned this part that we have through the new person, the new identity, we have been changed from a taker into a giver. That's that selfish piece. He's saying no longer steal. We don't, we don't steal. I remember when I was in high school, and God was still working on my heart and still changing me into the new person before one of my major experiences with Jesus Christ, which was that summer. Two months earlier, when I, before I had my transforming encounter with Jesus Christ, I was regularly shoplifting from Walmart. And uh, that's a bad thing to do. So I'm just going to go ahead and say that for the kids, my kids included. Um, because again, I, the old self was the operating principle in my life, and it was a blast for me and my buddy to walk in and just take whatever we wanted. Um, and it worked until it didn't. Until one day they had these plain clothes people. I don't know if you know this. Just a heads up, if you're regularly, if you're a kleptomaniac, this needs to be on your radar. That um, you don't just have to avoid the cameras that are in those little black orbs at the top. They also have plainclothes people who just roam about the store looking for shoplifters. Did you know this? And um, so I didn't. I had no idea because I assumed you know the security guard would be in a uniform of some sort. So we we gather our goods and we're making our way. You know, we basically shove them in our pockets and in our pants and things like that. And we're walking out of the store. And then I, as I'm walking out, I'm like, yeah, yeah, bam! Hand grabs my arm, and I'm like, oh, the law has found me. Which is exactly what happened. We ended up, yeah, they, they were like, we'd like to make an example of young kids. And I was like, oh, great. That sounds wonderful. And they're like, so we're going to call the police and you're going to go down the, you're going to go and be put in jail. It's like, okay. Fair enough, Lord. I never stole something knowingly after that day. A great lesson from God. 
But the point being, the point being, y'all, I just want to share that when I was a little kid, I accepted the Lord in my life when I was young. And so I, I truly believe, even though I hadn't had a, my powerful encounter with Jesus, I did in my senior year, Christians steal. So that's the point there of that one, right? Christians steal. It, it happens. It's a reality that the, the old corrupting self is still a powerful force in our life. God is progressively killing it off, but it's still alive and active. And we still have those impulses, right? To cheat, to steal, to take things from others that we know are not rightfully ours. And so this is not meant as a, okay, if I'm a new person, there will never, ever, ever, ever again be stealing in my life. No, it is still a possibility in our lives. But as we are transformed by the power of God into the new person, we will find that that is taking place less and less. Mine happened the hard way. Kids, I hope you don't have to learn the hard way. That the Holy Spirit, I pray this for my kids, that Jesus would work in your life to where you would be, you'd be a giver rather than a taker. And, and what do we mean by giver? Well, he says, Paul says, one of the things that's going to be a characteristic of someone who's been transformed, the new person, is work. You're going to work hard with your own hands. So I, what Paul is essentially getting at here is a theology of work. He's saying this is something that God created for us to do and it's something that is good for us in our true and new form in Christ. And essentially what he means is before sin entered the world and people were bent towards stealing and bent towards taking from others, the way that God originally created us is to work. I know it feels because of the curse, y'all, that work is terrible. <laughs> and y'all are all like, yes, it's Saturday or it's Sunday and I get to go to church and I don't have to go to work. And I have to, uh, I know if you're like me, you're going to be getting ready for bed tonight, brushing your teeth, thinking, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> Please, Lord, help a tornado to move through tonight so that I don't have to go into the office. Because work is often very, feels very futile, right? It's been, it's been, cur- it's been cursed and so it, it's hard to do now. It feels like we don't make any progress and it feels like we're not getting paid for the, uh, the right amount for what we're doing, right? But we were created to work. Let me, I got a few, ver- I picked out a few verses for us this morning. It says, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This dominion is implying there's going to be work involved. There's going to be tilling of the ground. This is something that is good that God gave us from the very beginning. And it says, um, the Lord God took the man and, and he put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And he has the task or the work of naming all of the animals that were in the garden. And then we, you can skip forward to Exodus chapter 20 again. Exodus chapter, I just mentioned it earlier. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And then Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says, for even, this is Paul talking, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Um, and then finally, from oh sorry, from Revelation it talks about the nations bringing the glory, the the glory into God's presence, the work that they've done with their hands. And then in Isaiah chapter sixty-five it says, "They shall build houses and inhabit them; they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. I know that's a lot of verses. We're jumping rather quickly around. But I want to just lay down. Paul is saying, we were originally intended, and this is what the new person is getting at, to work. What kind of work are we meant to do, though? And that's a a thing that the Bible also um, talks about a lot. And I want to just give us a few verses from scriptures about the considerations we should bring to our own work. You should bring these to your own work. I need to be bringing these to my own work. And there's there's three. There's three little principles that I think we get from Scripture. The first consideration is, what are the needs of the world? If you're considering, what work should I do? And this is for y'all, uh, college students especially. What are the needs of the world that God might have me meet? Secondly, what are the skills and gifts that God has given me? And then lastly, what desires has God put on my heart? I believe from Scripture, those are the best principles that we should bring with us when we think about what kind of work we should be doing as human beings. Now, let's talk for a minute about this first one, the needs of the world. Now, this doesn't mean, I'm not implying huge global problems. Go move to Africa and do fresh water. You might be called by God to do that, but that's a little overboard sometimes. It's basically like Paul says it right here. He says, look, do something, do honest. So honest work, that word for honest can also be useful. Do something useful for other human beings. Are you doing useful things for other human And when you are doing that, you should be paid for that. When you're really helping others. Um, okay, so that's the first part. But then there's also this idea of the Bible gives to us about providing for your own family. That's something that's very scriptural. Proverbs 13, the good leave an inheritance to their children's children. Proverbs 14, verse 1, the wise woman builds her house for the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Um, 1 Timothy 5, whoever does not provide for relatives and especially for family members has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, that's a powerful passage. Titus uh, chapter 3, verse 14, let people learn to devote themselves to good works in order to meet urgent needs so that they may not be unproductive. This is like an important thing for us. If we, if we, if the gospel has moved into our life, you're gonna, you're gonna need to really consider what work can I do to be useful to the people around me? To be useful to the people, to really care for, and that's what he meant, uh, uh, useful to other people, but also something to share with anyone in need. This is where Paul goes a little bit beyond just providing for your family, but Proverbs 14 verse 21, happy are those who are kind to the poor. 1 Thessalonians 4, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we directed you, says Paul. Luke chapter 3, just after John the Baptist had been preaching the truth of, of repentance, repenting from sin and believing in the Savior Jesus Christ, the, the crowds come up to him and they're like, what should we do? Our hearts have been moved by the Holy Spirit. And he says, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Proverbs 11 says, a generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. And then finally, Matthew uh, chapter 25 says, the king, that is God, will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. 
I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then finally, from Jeremiah chapter 29, we have a consideration for the all of society. It says, Jeremiah 29, 5 through 7 says, uh, build houses. This is God talking to the nation of Israel. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city you've been sent into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. I know that's a lot of verses. <laughs> I know I'm going deep into this, y'all. But this is such a wonderful example for us to really look at what the Bible teaches about work. About what are we actually supposed to be doing as Christians that have been redeemed by God. Um, and these are just the first consideration. The needs of the world. The needs of the world. We've got to look at that. And then the second thing we have to look at when it comes to our work as Christians is our skills and gifts. I'm not going to read all the verses on this, don't worry. Because we've already talked about Christian gifts. But what are the things that you're good at? You can just look at it that way. Um, often that is what our skills and gifts are according to the scriptures. And then finally, since I'm not reading all the verses on that one, um, it's important for us to think about our, our desires. Actually, what are our passions? I know many of us tend to think, okay, if I'm really following the will of God when it comes to work, then he's probably going to send me to the place I don't want to go. Have you ever had that thought? Right? If I'm, if I'm really being a great Christian, then because I don't want to go to, you know, the jungles of East Asia, well then, I guess, Lord, it's time to go to the jungles of East Asia. I, I've had those thoughts before. We've all been there. But that is not actually what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach that God will often give you a passion for the place and the people that He's calling you towards or that He's pushing you to work for. Right? It, it's, it's true that most missionaries, and this is the best missionaries, have a true desire and a true heart for the country that they're being sent to or that they're going to evangelize. It's, it, and so that's true for us too. What are, what are some of your natural proclivities? What do you have desire to do? What do you love to do? Now, you may not be able to use your gifts in every specific way at your work. I know that's true. Like, I was talking with Jacob about this earlier. He's an artist. You saw earlier how, how well God has blessed him, how well God has gifted him in that area. But I was like, look, coming right out of school, he's a fourth year now, he's got to probably look for something that's just going to pay the bills. And he may not be able to be a full-time artist right off the bat. Now, now you never know what God is going to do. But sometimes that's true for all of us. We have skills and gifts that are going to be used on the side. But we have to provide for our family because that's also in Scripture. And so it might be doing something in our work that is not absolutely focused on our perfect skill set and gift set. So that's just another principle about Christian vocation, Christian work uh, for us. So, and then, so desires are important. So those are the three considerations for us. What are the needs of the world? What are your skills and gifts? And then also, what are some of the desires that God has placed in your heart? Finally, as we wrap up this section on work, I know it's a little bit heavy duty, but we need to talk for a minute about is church work or missionary work or ministry work a higher calling? This has been incredibly confusing for most Christians throughout the centuries. Now, I think it probably comes from uh, possibly like a Roman Catholic notion that there is this hierarchy of what is and is not a higher and lower calling, right? If you're, if you're a monk or you're someone who is, you know, uh, praying all the time and has a full-time 
uh, call to ministry or to some sort of church work, then that is like special. God considers that special. And then if you have to go into the secular workplace, you know, okay, well, God will make a concession for that and you're welcome to go in that. That's not biblical. It's just not. Now, hear me out. God does call to the ministry. God does give people this. Let me give you some examples real quick. Before, so that I have some scripture to back it up. Exodus chapter 28 verse 1. Then bring near to you your brother Aaron and his sons with him from among the Israelites to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ilmathar are going to be priests. So God actually has this specific calling for some people to go into the ministry, to be missionaries or to go and do Christian what we would consider to be sort of church work or something along those lines. Also, Mark chapter 1, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon, his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen, and Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people, fish for men. And then um, Acts also talks about this, when they were set apart, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of mission missionary work for planting churches, and God calls them to that work. But there's also calls to non-church work in the Bible. You can also be called to something that's not within the church. Um, 1 Samuel 16, for instance. Uh, he sent them, that is Samuel sent them, and he brought them in. And he said, uh, here's a ruddy young man, beautiful eyes and handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. Call, call Anoint with oil. Call him. He is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, that is David, the King David, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel then sent out and went to Ramah. And this is God calling someone to a kingship. This is for him to rule over the people. So there's this sense in which um, they are God considers them to be equal. Why? Because they're both being helpful and useful to other people. Now, some of you, this might come as a shock or surprise, and I am willing to engage on this. Let's talk about it. Shoot me some emails. Uh, we can, we'll start a discussion. But it's important for us to remember this because many people, and I don't know how many of you feel this way, they might be in their business work or they might be in their job of doing administration or they might be in their job of, job of accounting or whatever it is, and they're like, well, you know, I, I, I pick second best. Not at all according to the Lord. Not at all. When you are being useful and you are helping other people with your hands... You are doing the Lord's work. Be encouraged by that. It is not second-rate work. Oh, Nathan up there, he's a pastor. You know, that's If I had really gotten a special calling, that's what I would be doing. Or if only I could quit my secular job and go work in the workplace, then or go work in the church, then, then I would really have God's favor. And that's not at all what the Scriptures teach. It is something, you are blessing the world through the work that you're doing at whatever corporation it is, or if you're a doctor or a lawyer or a XYZ, whatever, I don't have time to describe them all, be encouraged. Those are true callings from God. Now, okay, caveat. There, are, there is some work that does not fall into being a good thing or useful to other people. So let's just acknowledge that this morning. Things that are inherently either sinful or causing others to sin. Right? If you're... Uh, really, well, Nathan, you know, learn your lesson from last week. Uh, that was almost off the cuff. And let's move to our final point. How much time do we have? Five minutes. All right, we're going to have to fly through this one. 
uh, and I'm probably not going to have time to cover everything. But that's essentially what, what he is saying in verse 28. Paul's saying, look, we were originally intended to work. Sin came in and corrupted that and turned our hearts towards taking from others, stepping on others, moving up the corporate ladder, being cutthroat, stealing from our workplace. That's what sin has done to us. And he says, as, as God is recreating you, putting off the old man, putting on the new person, we're moving more towards what God originally intended. Work, doing work that is helpful and useful to others and where we have some left over. He says it right here. You have some left over where you have something to share with anyone in need. Right? There's actually extra. This is the beauty of living in a civilization, in a society, where we get paid way more to do what we do than if we were on our own. You get paid, because of our so the way God structures society, you get paid a lot more money than you would if you were on your own living in the woods trying to do everything by yourself. It just wouldn't, our, our economy is made in a beautiful way so that we are able to have extra. I know, because I, I know most of you in here, you have a little extra. You know, you have a little something, something to give away. Why are you holding it for yourself? The new, he's saying the new person gives away. The new person looks at the needs of others, other-centered, and says, how can I meet that need with the extra that I've been given? That's the newness of God working within our hearts. Okay, finally. Now I only have four minutes. <laughs> this one's tough. I'm not going to lie. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What in the world? What does that mean? Right? Does this mean no cussing? Okay, we're done. Let's wrap it up. I mean, many preachers and pastors, and I think the church has probably come up with that as sort of what verse 29 means. You know, just don't cuss and we're all going to be okay. But I don't think that's at all what Paul really intends here. Cussing might be a part of what he gets at, but he's talking more about tearing down with the tongue or versus building up with the tongue. And he's again, he's comparing two different lifestyles. He's saying the old person, the old, the old person we're trying to put off, just like that old person steals and takes from other people. That same old person does corrupting talk. Well, what does that mean? Think about corruption for a minute. Corruption is where you turn something from what is good and you move it to something that is bad. You corrupt, and this is an archaic term, but you corrupt, a, a banana gets corrupt when it goes from yellow to black. Right? That's, that's, it's being corrupted by the rot, or any, you can think of any piece of fruit that would work in that, in that regard. So, this is true for people. We say, oh, that's a corrupt politician. What, what we mean by that is that at some point that politician was doing good things and he had good policies, but someone came and spoke words to him, gave bribes to him, and now he's become a corrupt politician and he's doing things in a dishonest way. That's essentially what that's saying. So it's saying, what, are, what words are we using from our mouth to turn someone from good things to bad things? I'm, I thought of a few examples. It's pretty easy. Um, and the ways that we tear down uh, with our tongue. The first is a suggestion like this. Hey, girl, all the cool kids are doing it, right? Just the suggestion to someone that they need to take into consideration the peer pressure of those around them to do something bad will lead others into a corrupt 
lifestyle. How about gossip? How about gossip? Did you hear what so-and-so did? They are a blank, blankety-blank. We've all done this. And it's corrupting talk. You can spread hate for someone by corrupting talk. You could say, just think of the people group. All Brits are stupid. Right? If I just, if I'm in conversation, if I'm around the dinner table, I just say that. Right? You may disagree with it in your mind. You say, no, I've met some Brits that are actually pretty smart or whatever it might be. But that's corrupting talk. What if there's someone there who's, hmm, I've never met a Brit before. Hmm, I wonder if that is true. I wonder if they're all stupid. Maybe they are all stupid. Yeah. Yeah, let's start a website for talking about how stupid Brits are. You know, again, do you see how this happens? Do you see how this corruption begins to happen through words? Another thing, how about sex? There you go. I mentioned it. (laughs) They always make fun of me because I always mention sex in a sermon. But the Bible talks a lot about sex. Sex is good, right? It's a good gift from God meant to create intimacy between married people. What do dirty jokes do? They corrupt it. They say, oh, you know, it's actually something trivial. And even without being conscious in our jokes and saying it's something trivial, we're sending the message that it's trivial by dirty jokes. How about diversity? Diversity is a good thing. The Bible talks about diversity being a beautiful thing for all of the world. But dirty jokes about other people groups or other types of people sours those relationships. There's a corruption that begins to take place through the power of the words that come out of our mouth. The book of James says that our tongue is like a piece of fire that's a spark that can light an entire forest alight. He says it is so, so powerful, the words that come out of our mouth. And then finally, this is the one, this is the easy one, this is the softball. We all would consider here, and based upon the scriptures, that God is good. God is a wonderful, wonderful creator. Jesus Christ is an amazing savior. And I was at my boys' baseball game, and one of the parents there, what are they yelling out consistently? I won't, I won't yell it out. But I mean, they turn Jesus Christ into a curse word, right? This, do you understand how that's corrupting? It's not just, oh, it's a curse word. (laughs) It's God is good, but now I'm going to use his name to I'm, I'm going to be violent towards someone using his name. You see the level of corruption that has begun to happen there? And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying we are very prone in our old self, y'all, to do this with our words, to corrupt. I mean, I my heart broke as I was preparing the sermon this week. My kids are in the back there. Christy had to stay home because my Lyndon's sick today. But I thought about you guys when I was preparing the sermon. I thought, What careless words do I use with my impressionable kiddos that I am unknowingly corrupting their hearts? They're listening to me talk about other people groups. They're listening to me talk about friends. They're listening to the way that I gossip about other people. And I'm like, oh, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, I repent, help me. May the new person begin to work more and more deeply within my heart. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, your words can be used for building up. They can encourage people as fits the occasion. That just means apt, apt as fits the occasion. You're not, okay, nope, not. That it may give grace to those who hear. Our words can actually be gracious to those around us, can encourage them, and can make them more excited about God and about life and about hope. 
Now, I don't, I, I ran out of time. We're done. There's more about this, about what, how we build up with our words. So we'll get into that next week. I'll start our sermon off real quick. There's so much here, y'all. Ephesians chapter 4 is unbelievable. It's awesome. Because it's teaching us what is this new life that we've been given. How do we live it? How do we put off, Paul says, put off the old self and with all its corrupt desires and put on the new person. This new, I'm going to start trying on Jesus Christ. I'm going to wear Him as a robe. I'm going to become more like Him. And Paul says, these are the ways that we do it. This is how in the real world you live as one who's being transformed into more, being more and more like Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, I got a bookend with him. C.S. Lewis. There must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to Him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you're bothering about, you're not going to Him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self, which is Christ's and also yours and yours because it is also His, will come not as long as you're looking for it. It'll come when you're looking for Him. When you're looking for Him. Does that sound strange? The same principle holds, you know, for more everyday matters. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on other people until you stop thinking about what sort of impression you are making. Even in literature and art, no person who bothers about originality will ever be original. Whereas if you simply try to tell the truth without caring two pence about how often has been told before, you will... Nine times out of ten, become original without ever having noticed it. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give you up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have, nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find Him and with Him everything else thrown in. Let's pray. Lord God, we've gathered here this morning looking for You. Jesus, we're looking for You. We need You We want you. Lord, I know, I know everyone in here this morning is like me in the sense that they want to change. (laughs) Lord, we all want to change. We want to be different. We want to hurt others less. We want to be less, less angry with our children, less corrupting talk with the people around us, Lord. We want these things to be true for us, but we know that we can't do it. That we have got to be made new from the inside out. And that is only and totally by your power. And so we come this morning, Lord. We come to your table. And we beg that you would make Jesus Christ alive and real and full in us today. That he would be the desire of our hearts that He would be the change principle within the very depth of our being. 
And Lord, we pray that we would submit with all that we have so that we can be changed to be more like you. Thank you. Thank you that you allow us to experience this transformation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.